Welcome to All My Children Wear Fur Coats with Peggy Hoyt. Our goal is to keep loved pets in loving homes by educating pet parents about the importance of ensuring every pet has a forever home. For more information about creating a legacy for your pet or to listen to archive shows, visit AnimalCareTrustUSA.org or LegacyForYourPet.com. Join your host, author, estate planning attorney, and animal advocate, Peggy Hoyt. Hello, pet lovers. Welcome to All My Children Wear Fur Coats. I'm your host, Peggy Hoyt, and this show is brought to you by the law offices of Hoyt and Bryan, where we create estate plans for pets and their people. Also brought to you by Animal Care Trust USA, a national nonprofit dedicated to keeping loved pets in loving homes. We do this by educating pet parents about the importance of getting a pet trust for their loved pet. We also provide trustee services. And today, as part of our podcast, we are talking to Kara Achterberg. She is the founder of Who Will Let the Dogs Out? Welcome to the show, Kara. Hey, thanks for having me, Peggy. Oh, I'm excited to have you because I, I really am going to love getting to know you better and, and sharing with our listeners. Um, how much we have in common, actually. <laughs> so let me tell you a little bit about Kara. Kara is the author of seven books. She's a mom to three starter adults and an optimistic person who believes we all have the power to bring change in our lives and in the world. She lives in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia with her husband, three rescue dogs, and a rotating cast of foster dogs and cats. All right, you're going to tell us all about who will let the dogs out. Woof, woof, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm happy to. Well, start by telling us um, the current situation in our nation's shelters and rescues. Yeah, if, if, if anybody's picked up a newspaper or a magazine or uh, watched the news recently, can't miss the fact that our shelters are overwhelmed everywhere all over the country it's it, you know what you know obviously it's very bad in the south but it's bad everywhere you, everywhere across the country shelters have too many animals and not enough adopters and that's being caused by a, a whole bunch of things it's sort of like a perfect storm i keep describing it for for shelters right now because we have a huge number of animals being surrendered and that's happening for a lot of reasons obviously housing crisis um breed specific legislation and the economy. Those are things that are driving some of that, but there's also a huge number of animals that are being returned partly because of the post pandemic. And I, I won't say that it's just that people took them and then didn't think it through. And that's why they're returning. I would just say that the average return rate for any rescue, good rescue, good shelter is about 10%. So 10% of all the animals you adopt out are more than likely going to come back. And, and usually for no fault of their own, for you know reasons that make sense and obviously reasons that don't make sense, but that's kind of what happens. So when you think about the huge number of animals that were adopted out during the pandemic, 10% of them comes back, that is overwhelming any shelter anywhere. So right now it's just, it's just over overwhelm all over the place. Plus on the rescue end, the, you know, the other side of the equation, everybody who was going to get a pet got a pet during the pandemic. So adoptions have really slowed down. And the same factors that are causing the surrenders are causing the hesitation and people wanting to adopt because they don't know what's coming in the economy. You know, they can't find good housing that will allow them to have a dog, all the same reasons. So all of it's sort of happening all at once. And then a couple other little pieces are that we have a veterinary shortage in this country. Um, so there's not enough vet care going around. And during the pandemic, 
there was not spay and neuter for a good long portion of time, six months to a year in some places. And so that translates to large numbers of puppies and kittens turning up in the shelters right now. So all of those things at once, it's like everything bad that could happen is happening at once and it's overwhelming all of our shelters. Well, how do we get more people to go to vet school? I don't know. You know, we need to be, first we have to have more, more places for them to go. There's so few slots, you know, and I, I love to, I would love to see us do something like what like teach for America, where these vets that are graduating with this huge debt, if we could just, we could just offer them a little debt relief if they'd serve in an underserved area, if we could do that. I mean, most vets aren't going to set up practice in the rural South because they aren't going to be able to pay their bills because it's just too hard to do down there. So it would be great if we could give some kind of, some kind of incentive for that. So talk to us about the rural South and the problem with shelters in the South in particular. Um, well, in much of the South, particularly like we just returned from a trip to uh, Georgia and Mississippi, and those are two states that don't necessarily, well, Mississippi has no public shelters. Everything is nonprofit. You have to want to shelter. They don't have animal control services in a lot of places. And then Georgia is a dog pound system for the most part, if there is anything at all. So it's just a different mentality and it's all over the South. Like in uh, Western Tennessee is also dog pound system. Alabama has some decent dog laws, but about 60% of the counties are out of compliance. So they don't have a public shelter. So, you know, it's, it's just different. I feel like in the Northeast and maybe it's the density of population, you know, we, we feel like we have to have animal control services. It's, it's important. It's dangerous not to, and I would argue that's dangerous not to anywhere, but in much of, you know, the rural parts of the South, you know, the dogs have always run loose. The dogs have always, you know, not been spayed and neutered. This is just the way it's been. And, and the problem is as those areas are becoming more and more populated, that's not going to work because now we have too many animals and we have, you know, really de desperate situations all over the place and no resources to help them. No animal control officers, no shelter, no nothing. And um, all these little rescues step into the gap trying to fix the problem and, and, they're not regulated and they can have you turn into hoarding cases. And so it's just, well, it's just a, it's a tough situation, but um, I believe it's a very fixable one, but it's a really tough situation. I, I don't disagree with you. And, um, and I think there are a lot of really well-meaning people out there and these little organizations, as you say, that, that want to fill those gaps, but they don't necessarily have the resources to do that either. And I feel like that's where your organization comes in, is that you're trying to raise money, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, to help others, others that are um, trying to help solve the problems. Yeah, that's our mission is to raise awareness and resources for all of these places, all of these little places. And in many times, we, you know, we obviously, if it's a municipal shelter and we can help them, that's always our first, first stop. Uh, but a lot of places, there are none. And so there are these little tiny rescues down dirt roads. Like we had to get a four wheel drive vehicle because we needed it to be able to get into the places that we go to. Um, and, and many of the larger organizations that are doing so much in the big cities in this country don't even know about these little pounds and little rescues and little municipal shelters and kennels behind the police station. And that's where like so many of these animals are suffering and many are dying. Um, because nobody knows where they are or what they're doing or how to help them. And so we're trying to shine a light on that. We try to travel to them, um, try to tell their story. 
tell people how they can help and and raise awareness right there. We try to bring local press if possible, um, do everything we can, because I really believe that if people knew about the problem and what they could do to help, they would help. I think the biggest disconnect is that people don't know that they exist and that they could help. Well, and do you ever feel like there's a uh, just a general belief that the big national organizations somehow are connected to all these little organizations and that they're supporting those organizations when really everybody's got their own separate mission going on? Yeah, that's totally true. The, the big ones many of the big ones depend on self-reporting from the shelters. So they, they, they are in their offices, wherever their offices may be. And these shelters report to them, the number of dogs they take in are adopted out, they euthanize, they, they report all those numbers. But a lot of the places that we go to are little tiny places that don't even have internet access, let alone a computer. I mean, it's just the idea that they could even do that is crazy. And, um, it's it's frustrating to me because the people, the organizations, the shelters and the rescues that need the money the most are the least able to ask for it. They don't have the, the ability to do it because they, they don't have records, some of them, or, or records that are online and available. Um, they don't necessarily have the skill set to apply for grants. It's very complicated. It's challenging. And so we have a grants advisor. Um, she's a volunteer, but she is a full-time professional grants writer, and she volunteers with us. Um, as a grants advisor. And so she works with every shelter or rescue that we visit that needs it to help guide them through the grant writing process. But she finds it hard too, because, you know, they're stretched so thin and they don't have these records. And so it just, you know, the obstacles are just enormous. And it's, it, you know, we've, we've come so far and those big organizations have brought us so far in the large areas. Where they were, where they would have thousands of dogs a month, and and it was so important and so critical, and they did so much good. But what we're not doing is the the, the little places, the smaller places, and those are the ones that desperately need the help. There's a um, Japanese proverb that says, "When you are ninety five percent there, you're only halfway done." Something to that effect, um, and that's true. You know, sounds we right. are we're yeah, like ninety percent right. there, but we the where the hard part is left. This is the really hard part to help these smaller organizations that nobody knows are out there. This is the really hard part, and it's going to take more than just asking for reports from you know computers. So when you go on shelter tours, how do you decide where to go? You know, it's hard. Um, we sometimes we go because somebody asked us to. That's always someone asks for us to come visit. We are there. One of the Kentucky shelters we're getting ready to go visit. That, uh, the gentleman there asked for us to come. He wants he needs help. And so we're going there. Um, and sometimes they're suggested by other people. Um, sometimes it's a volunteer who's helped with them. Um, sometimes I just reach out, like I just re I just kind of search where I knew we were cutting through West Virginia on this next tour. So I look for where the poorest was well, hard to find four counties in West Virginia, but I found, I looked and I was like, okay, where's, and I just started looking online until I found one. I picked up the phone and called and, um, and the person who answered, which is not usually the case, <laughs> usually nobody answers, but, um, the fact that she answered and then was like, yes, please do come. As soon as I started talking to her about it, it was really great. A lot of times they're skeptical. They, they see us as people who want to come in and, you know, and slam them because shelters take a lot of heat. Um, they get blamed for so much. And we try to, 
to say again and again, you know, these people are given an impossible job and not enough resources. And then we beat them over the head for not doing the impossible and we pay them nothing and we expect crazy hours and they sacrifice so much and they're just in an impossible position. And, you know, I consider them heroes. That's, you know, that's in our tagline that um, we help uh, homeless dogs and the heroes who fight for them. And that's, that's what I think they are. And so we go there with the idea that we want to shine a light on what you're doing. We don't want to you know, we don't want to slam you for not being able to do the impossible. Well, and then they have to suffer with so much loss as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and I think that's a part that maybe uh, a lot of us live in an idealized view of the world that a dog goes to a shelter and they all get adopted. Mm -hmm. And, and we know that's not true. Um, but we don't want to face that that's the fact where they're literally euthanizing millions of healthy adoptable pets in this country every single year. Yeah, it's really it's really tough because so many of them are really adoptable and really wonderful. Kim Cavanaugh wrote the book called The Dog Merchant, and she's a wonderful journalist. And she has a quote in there, and I'm going to screw it up, but in there that says that if... Um, I think half the people who are right now wanting to get a dog were to choose to go to their shelter and adopt a dog instead of purchasing a dog, we would empty the shelters in a day. And she's right. And she says it's a marketing problem. And it is a marketing problem because there are two, these are not the dogs people want. They don't want these mixed breed dogs that are large, that are, you know, the average age of a dog in a shelter is one to two, because that's usually when a dog starts to, you know, it's a teenager. That's when they're naughty, right? Yeah. That's when they end up. And so that's the average age of a dog in the shelter. Um, And those aren't the dogs people want. They don't want a one and a half year old dog that's bouncing off the walls and isn't some kind of purebred this or that, and maybe weighs 60 pounds. Like it's just hard. And they're not in the right place also because they're, you know, they're not, they're not they're in all concentrated in the, in the rural South, you know, they're not in places where people might want them. So um, yeah, it's a marketing, it's definitely a marketing problem. We have a perception of, of what a shelter dog is and um, many people, that's not a good perception and we need to change that. We absolutely do. And I, I'll do whatever I can to help you do that. Um, Cause I mean, my heart is for dogs. Um, if I have a tagline, it's Peggy loves dogs. Um, and if you come to my house, it's a it's a reality because you will get just bombarded by six dogs that all want your absolute attention and you, and you know how they are. So here's a thing, though, that bothers me that I'm noticing recently. So doodles became very, very popular in the last couple of years because of their uh the idea that they don't shed and they're hypoallergenic and yet now what i'm seeing is lots and lots of doodles in rescue Mm -hmm. we're seeing them too at the shelters yeah and so they're overbred overbred and inbred and that and those are dangerous things i mean that's part of what happened during the pandemic and it's still we're still feeling the reverberations of that is there was such an increase in breeding to meet the demand for puppies during the pandemic. And a lot of irresponsible breeding was done in backyards and in puppy mills and everywhere, just because there was, there was money to be made, you know, and that's what happened with the doodles. There was money to be made and 
you know, breed anything you want to a poodle and called it whatever doodle. And, and now, you know, you think you're going to make some money and, you know, those dogs, it's just, it's unfair because, you know, it's, it's always the animals that pay for our bad decisions. Well, sir. And, and I think that a lot of people maybe don't realize too, that poodles really are high energy dogs. Um, even though they're really smart, um, and they may not shed, um, they are really high energy dogs and they require a special kind of, um, household to, to live with that energy. True. Very true. Oh, I was dropping one of my dogs at the vet this morning and there was a gentleman there who had a one-year-old, um, golden retriever, stunningly beautiful dog. Um, but he was out of control and, (laughs) You know, and it just makes me think that a lot of people think of golden retrievers as just these, you know, wonderful family pets. And I'm sure he will be when he's five, but when he's mm-hmm. one um, and he's, you know, 70 pounds, he's a handful. Um, and the man that was handling him was not necessarily a young man either. So I didn't make things worse by bringing my 80 pound dog in while he was trying <laughs> to deal with his dog. I waited till they took the dog in the back. <laughs> But, um, all right. Tell us more about the heroes though. Tell, tell us what you find, the kind of people you find that are the real heroes in these stories. Uh, we meet so many amazing people. There was this young woman that we met, um, just outside of Nashville at a little tiny shelter called Greenbrier. Greenbrier? I think that's right. Um, and she was just, she was just adorable. Her, um, blanket on her name. It's very, 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 very country sounding name. Anyway, she was amazing. Just, just adorable. And she has four or five kids and they were all under the age of like nine. And she was the only employee at this little shelter. And the shelter had like inside, they probably had 10 kennels and outside they probably had seven, six or seven, something like that. Um, and she told me she hadn't had a day off in three years. She worked seven days a week, um, except for she was off when she had COVID. That was the only time she had off because, and I was like, what, well, didn't you ever take a weekend out? And she was like, no, cause if I do, the dogs don't get fed and nobody's going to take care of them. She's the only employee. And I, and I'm sure she's not making a ton of money in this little tiny place. And that's not the only, I mean, we met a single one, one person doing all the work at another one in Tennessee too. So we meet these people all the time that are just remarkable what they're doing. There was this, um, two women we met in Mississippi on the last trip. And they're in a county that doesn't have any, well, as I said, Mississippi doesn't have municipal shelters, so they don't have animal control in that area. Um, and so they have, they have been um, basically having a shelter in their backyard. She put up kennels. She started using chicken coops, but, um, and we, we actually gave them an Instagram to, to buy a real, to, and bought them a real kennel. But anyway, she's been doing that and she's in her sixties. She's retired. She's doing this all using, she's um, a widow and she's doing this all on her own social security. Like that, those are the kind of people that are out there, you know, picking up the load and nobody knows about them. And, and those are the, the kind of people that, you know, we, we just, they aren't ever going to ask, they aren't going to ask for the recognition or they're not going to, um, they're not going to ask for anybody to honor them for what they're doing. They're doing that because they love the animals and they don't want the animals to suffer. And so they're doing everything they can possibly do, but these people cannot do enough. There's just not enough of them. And it's not fair either. It's just not fair that we depend, you know, these counties depend on them. Like they don't feel like they need to have animal control because the nonprofits are taking care of it. These little, right. these little rescues are doing it. So they're, and they're doing it basically for free for the county, right? Cause the county's not paying for it. So, um, 
it, you know, it's kind of, it's frustrating to me because I love that these people are there and I love these people. And like, as I said, I can't consider them heroes, but I also know that they're enabling the system to go on the way it is. They're enabling our county governments to not do the job they should be doing. So they need to start charging them, right? <laughs> they should. I wish they could. <laughs> That would be the awesome thing to do. And you look at that and you go, wow, they just need a really good volunteer program, but they're already spending 24 seven taking care of the dogs. They don't have time to coordinate a volunteer program. Um, So they just need volunteers. They need a volunteer who will volunteer to be the volunteer coordinator. They do. They need, that's one of the biggest things everybody needs is more volunteers everywhere we go. Yeah. And, and we can all do more. Absolutely. We can all do more. Um, Mm -hmm. We can get out from behind our televisions and um, our computers and our telephones and (laughs) do more for the dogs and the cats and the horses. So tell us some of your current projects, things that you're doing to um, help others. Um, I especially like the idea of this Operation Hot Dogs. (laughs) Um, Operation Hot Dogs, we're actually going down to see uh, in our next trip, but operation hot dogs came about as part of our Instagram program. And that that's a program we're super excited about. I've always dreamed about it. And, you know, years ago, when we, when we first started doing this in 2019, I said to Nancy, the photographer, my photographer friend, who's the co-founder of this organization, I just, I just wish I had a magic wand. I wish I could just be like, you get a, a transport van and you get new kennels and you get, I just wish I could do this for these places because they deserve them, but they're never going to be able to qualify and get, like, as I explained earlier, go through the grants process to get them. So I said, wouldn't it be cool if we just had this big bag of money and we could just give instant grants wherever we went, we just be yeah. like, we've met these people. We've seen the work they're doing. We've, we've got spent time with them and we know they deserve this and we could just do it. So this was a dream. And then eventually um, last year, uh, through a connection at the ASPCA, the ASPCA gave us a little teeny tiny drop of money to do, to start to do a pilot Instagram program. And so the way we designed it was there's no, no, there's no paperwork. There's no, they have to fill out and apply whatever. Um, but if we have visited that shelter and we have documented them and we understand what they're doing and we recognize a need, a concrete need that we can fill, then we will buy that for them not, we're not handing out checks. We're not just giving them, you know, money where, so we were at a shelter in North Carolina last winter. It was January and the dogs lived outside on concrete and they just were freezing. These hound dogs were just shaking like leaves. And we, so we gave them an Instagram. We bought Corunda beds to get them off the concrete for the whole shelter. And that was our first Instagram. We were really excited about. Um, and then we did another one that I mentioned earlier about the chicken coop. We did buy them real kennels. Um, that was our second Instagram. And then we just blew all the rest of our Instagram money on Operation Hot Dogs um, because it's a shelter in Corinth, Mississippi, which right now I can't even guess what the temperature is, but uh, it's a shelter that's a nonprofit that has struggled and struggled. And when we first visited them, their roof was falling in. They had so much plastic everywhere. They were in a building that was uh, Civil War era and they handled, I want to say at the time they had like 160 dogs in that building. Oh my in fact, God. Yeah. And, and it was so bad. It was raining the day we went. And when we went into the puppy room, I realized they had had a new leak and it was flooding and we helped evacuate their puppy room when we were there our first time we visited. So we went back last year because we heard they got a new building. The county, they had been raising money for a building uh, and about, I think through a bequest and, um, and then 
Nicole, our grants advisor, had worked with them and they'd gotten a couple grants from Petco and Best Friends. So they'd raised some money, almost a half a million dollars, I want to say it was. So the county offered them, or the city of Corinth offered them the former men's prison work release building um, for like a dollar a year, you know, rent was sounding oh, like a wow. great idea. Yeah. And they said, we'll take your money and we'll renovate it and turn it into a shelter. And they supposedly did that. And so they built this, you know, they renovated this building and they brought in a metal building that was from somewhere else and put it in the back to give them more room and put kennels in. But what they did was they didn't pay attention to the requests of the shelter staff, what they wanted. And so they built kennels that are made out of concrete block. So there's no ventilation. The dog areas have no air conditioning. So no AC, no air conditioning. They're in a concrete block building. The temperatures last summer when they moved in, um, they moved in last July, um, were over 100 and they had puppies that died from the heat. Oh, no. And, um, and so we went to visit them and we were like shocked to hear that this had happened. And, you know, and many in the area are like so proud that they got a new building and so proud that their city did this. And it's all wonderful. But the but the fact that they don't believe they need the dogs need it. They have air conditioning in the, in the clinic and in the main office and in the cat area, but none in the dog areas because the people that were doing this just didn't think that animals need air conditioning or heat for that matter. They finally oh did get heat. God. They got heat in April. And as of April, they got heat just in that awesome. But so anyway, we said, Charlotte, what can we possibly do? You know, we don't have a lot of money left in our Instagram program, but we're willing to spend it. Is there anything we can do? So she got a quote for air conditioning. It was going to be $50,000. Well, we didn't have anything close to that. Oh so, gosh. so, and we also said, why would you, why would you spend money on a building you don't own why would you sink fifty thousand dollars more into a building that you're not happy with that you don't doesn't have good ventilation like that doesn't right. make sense so she she told us about this dream she had to create con dog condos is what she called it so so she wanted to put up a portable building they had this three acres of grassy area outside the shelter and the city had said they could do whatever they want with it so she wanted to put a portable building one or many but start with one and put fencing around it and has a little front porch and create like hangout area inside for the dogs. And then the dogs, um, then crates for all the dogs. So they have about, they're going to put about 10 dogs out there. Um, and they'll live the way dogs like to live, which is in a pack. Um, at night, they'll be shut into crates inside their house, which is air conditioned. Um, so they'll kind of be getting trained for becoming pets too, you know, in a home. Right. Um, and so, so we, um, we started operation hot dogs. We gave them all the, we used the rest of what we had in our Instagram and some of our own budget, um, to purchase a building and it's there and we're going down to see it. I'm very excited. And it's, it's a start, you know, it's, they currently have 211 dogs because like everywhere else they're overwhelmed. Um, and so it's, oh it's only a handful of dogs, but she's getting her most vulnerable dogs out. And the really exciting thing was by doing this and talking about it, uh, we had a donor step, step forward and give another $10,000 for a second. It's about $10,000 to do a condo, to do the, the electrical AC, the treat, they have to treat the inside of the building and insulate it and uh, fencing around it. Anyway, it's about $10,000. So we had another donor step up. So now they're going to have two dog condos. So that's 20 dogs getting out of that hot building and it's a start. And I'm really excited about it because it's portable. It's theirs. It belongs to them. Yeah. They can um, take it with them. Yeah. So if they ever, and also it's just, not only does it solve a problem, it 
it's a better way to house a dog. It's a better way emotionally. And you know, it's, it's a win in so many ways. And I keep saying, I was talking to somebody else who's been in the process of trying to raise $3 million to build their shelter. And I said, you know what, you should look at this condo idea because we shouldn't be building $3 million buildings. We should be solving this problem. We shouldn't need $3 million shelters we have when we could fix the problem. I, it just doesn't make sense. Whereas, and I also feel like I, and I told Charlotte this, that I, this was supposed to be a band-aid, but I see it as a, a really good solution for a lot of these places that are overwhelmed right now. Right. $10,000, you put up a temporary building and you're not going to need that forever. And when you're done, you sell it. Right. Right. We hopefully aren't going to have shelters overwhelmed the way they are forever. I hope not. And I sure hope I'm holding that winning lottery ticket that I bought again, <laughs> because then boy, couldn't we do some help, good work with $700 million? Yeah. We buy those tickets every trip. Every time we're on tour, we buy them. We always feel like we're. Well, yeah. Cause it's always people <laughs> who live somewhere else that right. win them, right? Exactly. Right. <laughs> All right. So what is your dream for the future of sheltering? Other than portable buildings. <laughs> My dream is that Sheltering, um, well, my biggest dream for our organization first is that we don't need to do this anymore. So like right. I, I always say that to our volunteers and our board all the time, our goal is put ourselves out of business. We don't want to, we want people to all know, and then we're done. Um, but my dream is that shelter should be foster based, that we should have a building, a small building that has like classroom space and maybe an agility course and some communal living spaces and a vet clinic. And it's a, it's a resource. It's a resource for the community and for the dogs. So the dogs would come in there um, and be assessed and then be sent out to foster homes. And that place would be a place where dogs come for training, for meet and greets. Like for me, I think that that's so much cheaper. It's better for the dogs. It keeps your community engaged. And like, and my dream is when we get these numbers under control, that's what we can do. That's what we do all over the place. We don't need $3 million buildings. I mean, maybe yep. you want to build them just because it's nice, yep. but you know, they become a community center and a resource where people can come and, um, be, you know, learn and bring their dogs. And that's my dream. I think that's a pretty good dream to have. And, and you're right. A lot of organizations are succeeding on a foster based model. Um, and, and so hopefully, yeah, that can be a thing for the future. Well, talk to listeners a, a little bit because um, you foster, I've fostered. Um, there is always the possibility of being a foster fail, but talk about why fostering is so important and why we just have to do it and not say, oh, I can't do it because I would feel so bad or, you know, I would be a foster fail. Um, because every dog I've ever fostered has gotten a wonderful home and it doesn't mean I love them any less. I'm really happy for where they are. Yeah, I, I agree. I see the same thing every time. Um, fostering right now is critical because it's the one thing we can do when people are like, what can we do with this crisis right now? What can we do? Well, the one thing that would make a difference is to foster because right now the problem is the numbers of dogs in the buildings, you know? So if you could get, if you can foster a dog, get one dog out of that building, well, you've opened the spot for another dog. So you're saving two dogs. And right now that's all we can do. We need time. We need time for, you know, everyone's working on these problems. We're working on the housing crisis. We're working on the economy. We're working on the breed specific legislation. We're working on the puppy mill. Like we're working on all those problems. But meanwhile, the shelters are still suffering with these huge numbers and fostering is the one thing that can give them a relief. And as far as giving up, uh, up your dogs, I, 
you know, I say all the time that, you know, if, if you really, if you really care about something, if you really want to make a difference, you, you have to be willing to sacrifice. That's just part of it. If you're not willing to make a sacrifice, it must not really matter that much. If you really want to save a dog, you know, letting your heart break a little bit, that's not a big, big sacrifice. I mean, it's a saying in rescue all the time is, you know, we let our hearts break. So theirs will never break again. And that's totally true. That's yeah. absolutely true. You know, yes, it's sad sometimes when some of them leave, but I know when that one leaves, I can save another. That's the way I look at it. I'm like, I've, all I'm doing, and I told this because when I first started um, fostering, I had three kids, you know, and they were like, what? We have to give up this dog? You know, like they were horrified. Um, but then I explained to them, you know, if we don't give up this one, we can't save another one. And they totally got it. They absolutely got it. And I imagine all three of my kids will foster animals all their lives because they totally get it. They also love the idea that like every couple of weeks, they got a new pet. Well, <laughs> so that's even true. If, it's fun. It's really fun. You never know who you're bringing home. And sometimes it's really great. Sometimes it's a lot of work, but it's, it's always a new adventure. And there's always a good story in the, in the final oh, yeah. analysis. I mean, I think about this 10 uh, year old collie that I, fostered one time his family was getting a divorce and so he was losing his home and um he was just the most awesome gentleman and his name was charlie but we called him prince charles and uh, <laughs> he found the most awesome home with an older lady and he was just such a good dog and it was i just love being able to think about him um i have found dogs i have taken in dogs i have um adopted dogs and then I might run into a person who goes, you know, that dog, your dog would make a real difference in my life. Um, I had a client come in one day and they said, oh, we love the story you told us about your dog, Fiona. And we would like to have Fiona. <laughs> and I went, oh, I didn't know Fiona was looking for a home. <laughs> but as it turned out, that was the right decision for Fiona. And so wow. she went and lived with this other family because they had two kids that really needed her adult disabled adults. Um, and um, she was the perfect dog for them. And she had an amazing life and she would have not had that opportunity if I hadn't been open to the idea of being able to see that she didn't have to be my dog for her to be my dog. Right. She could right. go live with somebody else. And then I still have wonderful stories that I can tell about her. All right. So how do we become a partner with you and how do we find you? So we can find everything about us at who will let the dogs out.org. Don't forget that word will, or you'll just get a whole bunch of rapper videos. Who yeah. will let the dogs out. <laughs> who will let the dogs out. <laughs> and you can find all of our information there. We're also on all the socials, um, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. We just got on LinkedIn. I think we're on thread also. I don't even know what that is. Um, and we're on Twitter, but I don't monitor it. So okay. <laughs> I can't tell you much about it. Um, so yes, yeah, so you can find us just about anywhere. Um, and we are ha more than happy to uh, to put you to work if you want to volunteer with us or to connect you with a shelter or rescue in your area, which is always what I suggest to everybody first um, is get involved wherever you are. Um, but we also have volunteers that work with us. Um, if you want to support the work that we're doing, there is lots of opportunity to do that through um, donating to us or shopping our Amazon wish list, which is the list of all the things we take to the shelters. Whenever we go out, we drive there with a van, well, van, I would call it, it's an SUV. It's a very small SUV. It's a Honda Element that was purchased for us by a fabulous company called Max and Neo. Um, and we stuff it to the gills with stuff. 
um, for the shelters, um, stuff that would not be in their normal budget, like flea and tick medication right. um, and dewormer and treats and toys. It must feel like Christmas when you arrive. Yeah, we try to make it feel like that. So yeah, so you can always purchase those things through our Amazon wish list, and we will put it in our van and take it with us. Or you can donate monetarily because we do restock as we go because we can't possibly take enough in our one vehicle for all the shelters we go to. So we appreciate any help that we can get. And the other thing that you can do is subscribe to our blog when you're on there. I write that blog uh, once or twice a week. I tell about all of our different visits. You can learn about some of these wonderful places that we go, and maybe you'll be inspired to help one of them. Um, and you can also, it also occasionally is a conversation just about how we all can be a part of solving this crisis that's going on in our shelters right now. Oh, I so appreciate you. I'm so happy for what you're doing and, and helping the dogs and helping the shelters and getting the word out. Thank you. I really appreciate you. Well, okay. For our listeners, who will let the dogs out.org. Um, go there, follow them sign up for the newsletter. I've done all those things. I did them right before we uh, went on the air. So uh, you'll be getting all those emails from me. <laughs> and if you want to meet a person, Kara is the person who I think today is most like me. Um, we love to write. We love to talk about dogs and we love to save dogs and um, we love to do podcasts. So um, join us each and every week as we talk to somebody else who's doing something wonderful for animals and you know my motto, until there are none, please adopt one. And uh, in Kara's words, foster one or two or four. Uh, and uh, until next time, happy tails. Thank you for joining us on All My Children Wear Fur Coats with your host, Peggy Hoyt. We hope you learned something valuable for the benefit of your pet. We want to keep loved pets in loving homes by educating pet parents about the importance of ensuring every pet has a forever home. Get more information about creating a legacy for your pet at AnimalCareTrustUSA.org or LegacyForYourPet.com. Buy a copy of All My Children Wear Fur Coats, How to Leave a Legacy for Your Pet on Amazon. Join our email list or make a donation. Pet professionals and advisors are invited to join our trusted advisor network. Until next time, happy tales!